0: this podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals however all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of tarleton radio or tarleton state university
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Making Space a Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host, Cole, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. How I approach this topic will be a little bit different, folks. Our discussion will be over learning disabilities, things like dyscalculia, ADHD, auditory processing disorder, and more. But we'll be looking at these disabilities through two different lenses. The first episode will be the administration side of things, those helping disabled folks and assigning accommodations. For the second episode, coming out a little bit later this month, we'll be talking to a student who has personal experience with her own learning disability. But to kick us off, we have Student Disability Resource Coordinator Jerica Hopson for this episode. She's with me to discuss learning disabilities. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And before we get uh, too far into the episode, like always, I want to give a little bit of vocabulary. I've only got two big words that I want to address before we get into the questions. And first off is learning disabilities. Now, when I was doing a little bit of my research and kind of what I was able to come up with is a disorder in one or more basic psychological processes that may manifest itself as imperfect ability in certain areas of learning, such as reading, writing, expression, or mathematics. Um, Related disorders could be autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, uh, dyslexia, dyscalculia, auditory processing disorder, and, uh, and many more. Um, does that kind of cover what that term means, Jericho? Or is there, there are different kind of ways of explaining it?
0: Well, um, there's different models of disability. So you know, the most popular medical model, social model, and rights-based model. So okay. each of those would likely define it differently. I think that's a good overall audience-friendly definition that mm-hmm. I think can you know encompass anyone, regardless of their background and experience with disability. So I. I think that's an effective oh, definition. Okay.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, then taking that definition, there are also what we call accommodations that are associated with disability in general, um, how we adapt certain things to help disabled folks. Um, so again, there are adaptations that can be made to to courses, to tests, how response style, Um, setting that will assist a disabled person to complete the required material at I'm guessing the same level as non-disabled students. Is that kind of how Tarleton would define an accommodation or is that similar? Is that different?
0: It's it's similar. I think the direction we would go with it is it's uh, an academic adjustment made to ensure that the student has equal access. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think that would be a a definition Tarleton could get behind?
1: <laughs> Definitely the equality there is mm-hmm. important. Rather, we're not pushing disabled students further than, um, say, a non-disabled student. We're just making sure that they're on equal footing.
0: Right. And so that would be kind of the difference in access and success, right? So, right. So I would provide with equal access, but mm-hmm. it'll be up to the student and all of the other resources on campus to make that success happen. But they're going to have the same opportunity as everyone else. And the educational barrier will no longer be there for that student. That's Great. the goal. Great. That's a good goal. Mm
1: -hmm. And I wanted to start off the questions with kind of more, a little bit of a more personal direction and ask how
0: you got into disability services and maybe what drives you to still be there. So it's actually an interesting story. Uh, I went to Tarleton for my undergrad and my master's degree and I'm, I was registered with the office. Um, I have dyslexia and um, I think I, I told you i i have anxiety Mm -hmm. that's you know i've got so um so I was registered as a student, and then whenever I started going to grad school, Dr. Trina Guy was the director there. Okay, and she agreed to take me on as um, a graduate assistant, and then that I just great. kind of pushed from there and continued into a, a full-time position. And um, I'll be completing my doctorate in July. Oh, and congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> That's big. And uh, I got accommodations in that program as well. So as far as you know, um, continuing to do this job, I want people to know that a disability specifically, you know, in this context, a learning disability doesn't have any reflection on a student's intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about flexibility. And um, one thing that I'm most passionate about is universal design. Uh, so universal design and learning and instruction. So one of the, the key components of universal design is flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so flexibility in course delivery, um, demonstrating mastery and things like that. Uh, so I always give an example that because I'm dyslexic, my spelling isn't, you know, it's not the best, right? Right. Um, But the content of what I'm trying to tell you is definitely there. So if if I were dismissed every time I didn't use a comma appropriately, I would not be in this position. So Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to be working with people who are flexible, which is a component of universal design, whether it's named that way or not, whenever Mm -hmm. they do it, um, for them to give me that flexibility and see that my message is here it's just right. the comma that's missing <laughs> so <laughs> that's a
1: that's a very good example and later on I definitely want to go back and touch on interactions with folks and uh, specifically disabled folks and and, uh, and accommodations and how that goes about but before I want to get too far into that uh, what kind of accommodations does
0: Charlton offer to those with learning disabilities so uh, typically, we don't uh, list out the accommodations. Some mm-hmm. universities do, but our stance on that is that every um, situation is handled on a case-by-case basis. Okay. So each accommodation is individual, and it's created so that the student has access, equal access, so mm-hmm. what we do is um, I usually meet with all of the students and we have a conversation about what their concerns are, and then we develop an accommodation plan from there uh, okay. based on their individual needs. So it's not necessarily um, a quote unquote prescription mm-hmm. of accommodations. Each plan is uh, developed on a case by case basis. Right. A
1: lot of people like to think, especially in healthcare, about almost a prescription, a guideline of what to do. And I, I like the fact that Tarleton kind of waits and says, well, don't don't maybe go looking for certain accommodations. Just come talk to us and we'll figure out what the best thing is for
0: for you. Right. And, and one thing I tell all of my students is there's only one expert on yourself and that's you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I I can look at your documentation all day. I can, you know, look at what you provide all day, but I'm going to get the most important information from the student themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in that same respect, some might consider me an expert in my field as well. (laughs) So um, the two come together in that aspect to create uh, what plan they need for access. But then also, I know we're gonna talk about faculty later, but Mm -hmm. um, the customization that goes into uh, working with each individual faculty is also very vital in the accommodation process.
1: Right, let's go ahead and talk about faculty members and instructors, then what is the response from faculty members and instructors about having students with learning disabilities or or even disabilities
0: in general? How are they responsive? Are they good? Or are they not so good? so um i actually had multiple meetings today and i said this in multiple meetings (laughs) one one thing that i'm i'm most proud of at tarleton is our faculty Mm -hmm. and the willing to be to be open and work with our students but then also they are open to being re-educated or redirected right so you know sometimes faculty go into it thinking well this is the way i've always done it this is how i think it's correct but then it's brought to my attention Well, you know, maybe that's not, you know, exactly how we should do it. Let's Mm -hmm. sit down and talk about, you know, why, because I'm not going to just go in and say, you're doing this incorrectly, you need to fix it, right? It's a collaboration. They're a professional, I'm a professional. And um, sometimes we include the student, but sometimes it's just a general re-education session that we have. And I have found that you know 90% 99% of faculty <laughs> are completely open and that conversation is usually quite pleasant every university is going to have some faculty that it's it's a you know a little bit more difficult to work with than others mm-hmm. uh, i can say tarleton has far fewer than any other system school that's good. That's good. of the providers that i've talked with and interacted mm-hmm. with i would say that's one of tarleton's strongest assets is our faculty's willingness to work with our students that's and great. and my office so when
1: you talk about having these meetings with instructors or faculty members, does that usually come after, or is it more of a beforehand kind of combat any sort of issues that, that happen in the classroom with compliance?
0: Uh, so, um, you know, basically proactive versus yes. reactive, right? Yes, that yeah. was the word yeah. I was looking <laughs> for. Thank you. Yeah, very much. no, no problem. I, I, I give this conversation a lot as well. So, um, part of universal design is being proactive rather than uh, reactive. That's um, one of the tenets of universal design as well. And I know I've mentioned it a lot. And um, the listeners, if you're interested in looking it up, it's essentially it's making things accessible from the beginning. Mm -hmm. It was uh, developed out of, Architecture. So uh, building in the ramps from the beginning rather than adding them later. Yes.
1: That kind that of thing. That would
0: be more easy. Yeah. Like, and, much easier. And the ramps, they're helpful for people who are disabled or non disabled, right? So mm-hmm. um, someone who has a stroller, someone who's carrying a lot of things, it might be more beneficial to go up a ramp or an elevator <laughs> than mm-hmm. to try and make it up those steps. So that's the tenet of universal design, making things that were seen as. S- quote, unquote, special accommodations for this specific population, mm-hmm. being something that's commonplace and just done from the start, right? right. Like putting a door on the building isn't special. Mm-hmm. It's done from the start because that's what has to happen for access <laughs> for anyone. Exactly. So uh, we, we do have a little session with uh, new faculty during the new faculty orientation where we, we introduce our office and what we do. And then uh, we meet with each uh, college, mm-hmm. so the, the College of Agriculture, the College of Education, they just changed the names of those colleges and I don't know what they are. I believe it is agriculture and natural sciences. Okay, that one, we meet with Mm -hmm. that one. So uh, we, during the college meeting, it's the dean that calls it and all the department heads are present and um, any program directors are present. And so Mm -hmm. we kind of meet, uh, reintroduce our office and we say, um, this is what we're doing. This is kind of what we need from you. The other half of my office is the testing center. Right. So we talk about using the testing center, what kind of tests we offer and things like that. Um, But we do uh, meet with the colleges. And then aside from that, I'm always open if someone reaches out to do any training or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked with Emily Van Kirk quite a bit. Yes, yes, we know her. I believe, uh, um, I think I might've attended a talk where where you talked and I was probably on Zoom and I didn't stop talking. Uh, Other than that, yes, I do deal with a lot of reactionary um, conversations just because I rely so heavily on our students to let me know mm-hmm. if something's going wrong because they're the ones in the moment and again they're the expert on themselves Right. Uh, so I I can include the student in the conversation initially and identify them if they'd like but usually I can go into a conversation with a faculty member keep the students confidentiality intact mm-hmm. and then we can just talk in general about their understanding of XY and Z accommodation mm-hmm. Or you know we'll go into specific scenarios. Mostly, the issues I deal with it's just a misunderstanding or a miscommunication. I see. Yeah. Are instructors and faculty required to
1: comply um, to this this method, this universal method? Not
0: universal design. Oh, universal no, design. Yeah, okay. not not that. And um, it's not an officially adopted concept or disclaimer. There, okay. it's it's my own. Uh, what I try to push. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it is a you know it's a thing, right? It's a national thing. It's right. just not something you know formally endorsed at Tarleton. Right. Um, but it is something that I'm encouraging, just because after COVID, especially. So, for example, the recording of lectures that that would be extremely helpful for a large portion of my students of course Um, and it's helpful for students in general you know Mm -hmm. to be able to review that material and honestly whenever we look at what what is a faculty assessing they're assessing whether or not they mastered the content not whether or not they were able to write down notes Uh, so I that's that's um, a concept that could be seen as universal design Mm -hmm. Um, it's I believe it's moving to uh, uh, faculty discretion. Okay. But you know, if I'm asked about it, that is the conversation that I have. So yes, there there is federal and state legislation: the Americans with Disabilities Act, and then the Americans with Disabilities Act as amended. Yes. Um, so both of those require um, any university who receives state or federal funding to um, abide by the ADA. Uh, private universities have to do it as well. They're just under a different title. I see. Um, okay. So they do but with that being said it's still a collaborative effort Mm -hmm. like i said at the beginning i don't prescribe these things so the faculty member is the content area expert Mm -hmm. i'm the expert in this field the student is the expert in themselves so if a faculty member ever feels like it's a fundamental alteration an accommodation cannot fundamentally alter the core foundations of a course right so in that case no the accommodation wouldn't apply but it's a conversation it's not just the faculty member saying no I'm not going to do this Mm -hmm. but it's important that the student lets me know if that ever does come up so we can have that dialogue and open that conversation.
1: That's great it's
0: great it's very much uh,
1: I I never thought about it in a group kind of method but it definitely is uh,
0: a group kind of cycle that happens Mm -hmm. Uh, that's very interesting. Yes definitely. And, and confidentiality is quite important for me but of i have course. found that as we move forward and there's more of an acceptance of disability as part of identity mm-hmm. that students are more and more open to have that discussion and be identified just like y- you have a student who who obviously has been comfortable and they're yes. going to be coming in yes. um, that has extremely helped Not only myself, of course, but those who are not in the disability world, right? Mm -hmm. It helps them, whether they know it or not, everyone comes in contact with someone who has some form of disablement. Everyone Mm -hmm. does. Um, And at some point, most everyone will experience that, but they don't put it in that context right away. So students being open and willing to have those conversations with faculty, with you, with other Mm -hmm. students, all it, it it just, it educates everyone and makes disability not taboo to talk about it
1: makes it more visible and Mm -hmm. that that's really what we like to see on this show is the education value but just hey this is this is a group that's here and that need to be heard
0: Sure. Yes. And, and our population has actually grown substantially. So um, the Amendments Act was passed in 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. and it broadened the scope of what's considered a disability in order to be protected under the ADA. Okay. So that opened the door for who's eligible for accommodations in post-secondary education. So we, obviously I wasn't here in 2007, mm-hmm. but we have uh, almost 600 students registered with us. Wow. Um, and. When you look at the larger population of Tarleton, obviously it's not—that's not a huge um, population. It's not a huge segment, um, especially when you looked at look at other marginalized groups. But the disabled population is a marginalized group, and right. it should be treated that way. Definitely. Um, but whenever you compare our numbers to, say, other system schools, um, there is—or other schools our size in general—we do have quite a large population. Okay. Um, so it's—it is becoming more. I wouldn't say easy, but less stigmatized for students to come forward and say, I need these things, I'm gonna work hard, um, but I'm gonna let you know what I need as well. That's good, that's good. Not,
1: I guess, at least on my end, I didn't know how many students were really involved in disability services and if that was something that needed to be like worked on, like that people should know that they can come up to you and just be like, hey, I need these things. Mm And that kind of brings in a question that I had, which is, besides faculty, because you mentioned that, you you mentioned the faculty training, instructor training, and that, that you go and introduce yourselves to different departments, do you do something similar with students that maybe wouldn't think to ask
0: otherwise? So we do. Um, I wanted to start with. Uh, there's a required syllabus statement about the office and how they can contact us. It's in every syllabus. I see. But most syllabuses are syllabi are you know 14 pages. Um, yes, definitely. So um, that's but, something that's in all of
1: them, and I yeah. I
0: can't say that I've yeah. read it. Fully. Yeah, no, and it's completely understandable. But it is in all of them. Um, we are involved uh, if there's orientation or anything like that. Mm-hmm. One thing that. Um, can be confusing for some people who maybe don't work in the office is um, legally the student has to make first contact with the office we we cannot you know someone says oh I, I think the student needs your help I can't reach out to them they have to reach out to us I see um, that protects the student as far as self-disclosure and mm, you know things like sense. that because they're the only expert on themselves, right? So they're going to know if they need help. They just need to know the resources there. Um, but yes, and I, uh, we have a partnership going with student development and mentoring right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. <laughs> we actually presented at um, the Association of American Colleges and Universities. Wow. Yeah, so excited. And it was virtual. Uh, so that I didn't have to travel. So that was exciting. <laughs> that's, that's good. Uh, but yeah, um, I've started it with student development and mentoring where uh, I'll meet with a student and so many times students expect services to be centralized, Mm -hmm. so like, oh, you're a student with a disability, so you go here for this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. I don't want that at all. I feel like, you know, that's pushing us so far back to almost a separate but equal concept. I want students to be able to access the same resources as everyone else. I want advising and tutoring and student success coaching to be accessible to these students regardless of disability status mm-hmm. because a lot of times what they're needing is exactly what a success coach does, but they are they are under the false understanding that they have to go through me to get it. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I, I create a referral with the student's consent and I talk a little bit about how their disability may directly impact their academics based on our conversation mm-hmm. and what kind of... Um, resources i think would be helpful for the student success coach to employ with the student or provide to the student but then also that provides that student success coach with these resources that you know maybe were initially created for disabled students Mm -hmm. but would be beneficial to so many other people Mm -hmm. Uh, and a good example would be if a student comes to a success coach and they say i'm having a hard time keeping up with the reading done outside of class Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm dyslexic. That was a major problem that I had. It's a major problem that a lot of my students who have reading disorders have, Mm -hmm. but also um, a lot of people have trouble with it because finding the time to sit down to dedicate to actually read the stuff and all of that. So uh, there's some programs where you can, uh, so for example, there's one called Snap and Read on your phone. You take a picture of it and it converts it uh, to PDF so that it can be read to you. Um, oh, okay. So there's that. Obviously there's audiobooks. If it's um there's a program called Natural Reader that mm-hmm. that I use. It's it's my favorite. Uh so anything on the computer if you can highlight it with your cur- cursor, this program will read it to you. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a free version. It's called Natural Reader. There's a free version. Um <laughs> I'll try to link that. <laughs> and it's it's actually fantastic because it's very simple to use. Um and for me, it's not so much that I need it to to read read to me slow or anything so I speed it up very fast I just need to be able to hear it and see it in order to Mm -hmm. to take it all in but that would be beneficial to working parents it would be beneficial to people who commute Mm -hmm. none of those are disabilities
1: right right but it can be applied to other students it's right and that's that's very important.
0: And and now our success coaches and our mentors, that department is being exposed to those resources. Mm-hmm. And eventually I want to branch that to all of the student services departments on campus. Um, but I, I'm wanting to get the framework established with student development and mentoring because I think they're the most immediately helpful for the students coming in. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful department. So <laughs> everyone, student development and mentoring over there with Dr. Manichaki. That's
1: great. That's great. I was actually about to, my next question was going to be, in your opinion, where where do you see that the disability services has room to grow? Or if it has room to grow, where do you see it going?
0: So what I want to do is, to a certain extent, uh, work myself out of a job, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't want things to be special accommodations anymore. I want them to be things that are built into a course. They're part of pedagogy. They're part of, you know, instruction and learning. So obviously, there's going to be some things that universal design can't really address. So uh, testing, for example, Um, most people don't take college tests or college type tests once they graduate and they're in the workforce, right? Right. So that's kind of an exception. But being able to work with students to build those skills and faculty to help them build those skills in order to bridge to the workplace so that they can find those resources for themselves once they get out there or to help incorporate that into their workplace already I, I really want to do that I'm obviously passionate about universal design yes um, I do have job security though because it's the law but mainly I want to do some education and we, we did recently change our name so we did used to be referred to as disability services mm-hmm. but we're now disability resources resources okay. and um, so it, it it's only a single word change, but it is is so much more than that. Um, for for a lot of people, but for myself, especially as far as um, the philosophy and the direction that I would mm-hmm. like to go, I, I don't want to be a service as in we do this for you. I want to be a resource and let's educate you. Let's work together. Let's make this happen. Let's make sure we don't have any issues. Mm-hmm. Let's make this accessible from the from the start and it's not student disability services anymore it's just disability services because accessibility is a university-wide responsibility Mm -hmm. it's not the responsibility of a single department or the student to go to battle for themselves it's the entire university so that's really what I would like to do I'd like to open it up to okay accessibility is the responsibility of everyone let's figure out how we can do it because so often disability is trapped in the single department Mm -hmm. that has disability in their name right and I think that does a disservice not only to the disabled students but the non-disabled students as well as far as exposure to diversity like what you're doing with this dialogue so um, I so my personal vision (laughs) for the (laughs) office um, would be to follow the models of disability Um, so Obviously, the medical model, model of disability is, is the most traditional, so to speak, model. Mm-hmm. It's the one where uh, it's medicalized. It's a, a an inherent problem with the individual. It's something that needs to be cured and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Right. It has its place. It has its place in the medical field. I can see how that's important in the medical field. It doesn't have its place here or in advocacy or anything like that. Then you move to the social model of disability, which um, is quite popular. It's... It has a lot of flaws which have been addressed but in that aspect that's whenever we get into the conversations about language so identity versus identity first versus mm-hmm. person first and things like that and looking at how society contributes to um, barriers and how they put up barriers right
1: that that makes sense yes. we can kind of see that in a lot of different ways especially right now not mm-hmm. just with disability but also with uh race and mm-hmm. sexual orientation and gender identity as well.
0: Absolutely. And and there is there is a lot of crossover. So uh conversation about critical race theory is really heating up right now of course, but there's um DISCRIT, which is critical disability theory. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of overlap as far as, you know, advancements of rights and awareness with um, you know, race, LGBTQ. So a great example for LGBTQ is the Q, white, right? Queer used to be, you know, right. insulting, used to be a dirty word. The same for Disabled, right? Sometimes yes. it's it's hard for people to understand that that's no longer, or it shouldn't have ever been. But it's not it's not a dirty word anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of identity. A, a disabled person is okay to say that's identity first. That's identity development, which really should be happening in college. That's whenever a student figures out yes. what their identity is. And Definitely. so if we can normalize saying disabled, it's going to be extremely helpful. Um, just in the larger picture in getting students what they need that is kind of beyond the curriculum right it's it's mm-hmm. uh human development right. um, and then and then you move into the rights-based model of disability which is really the arena that i would like to work in um, and it gets a little confusing um, because the rights-based model is not as concerned with advocacy as the social model that so makes sense. right mm-hmm. so i think Uh, A university has uh, an obligation to um, abide by the ADA, which is a a legal document, right? Yes, definitely. Um, And I think sometimes whenever we kind of uh, bleed over into uh, advocacy, sometimes it it may blur the intention of the ADA, right? And, And sometimes it can make it difficult for service providers to see their way through, okay, this is what they need in order to have access, if I do this, I know they're going to be successful, right? Right? So that can get a little confusing. So if um, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and in International Affairs, uh, if if they can kind of adopt the social model of disability and see disability as part of diversity and part of culture, mm-hmm. that is where that those students can go to get that social support, just like they have uh, mental freedom and bold. I know they yes. had those going, yes. but seeing disability as culture and diversity, follows that social model while the, the, the legal and federal compliance happens just like in the, the title nine, the office mm-hmm. of civil rights, that's where that happens. It's, it's okay. Right. So there's a legal arm to make sure they're getting what they need, but then there's the, the advocacy arm, which it's exactly the same for, for race, uh, LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the same concept and the same model. So just like we've, we've taken from, you know, their efforts, uh, for other you know progressive movements we can do the same for this but um more and more you're seeing the centralized idea of service so you have a disability so you go to you go to tutoring over here not over here Mm -hmm. right and i can see how that could be appealing but it's also damaging it's segregation creates the separate the separate. separate right and so I don't think uh, people see the damage it does to disability identity whenever that stuff like that happens. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's important to keep the legal compliance here, right? Mm-hmm. Because legal compliance is very, very different than what happens in diversity and inclusion. Of course. Right? Um, so that's where I'm interested in because it's, it's clear, right? And right. I, I can be a consultant, I can say, this is what the legislation sl- says it's actually not clear at all. It's up to a lot of interpretation, <laughs> yes. but it, it requires someone to have a mindset that can see multiple angles. But whenever you work in um, advocacy or you're solely consumed by the social model of disability, it can be hard to see any other angle.
1: Right, so you wanna look at this in, in a way, a sectioned off state, but a state that is also in kind of a cycle of working together yes. at the same time. It's a lot of balance I can tell from making sure a disabled student is able to be an individual and be and have that independence associated with it. You're very much like we are a resource center so they come to us when they need resources versus you have to come to us because we are the disability services. But it's also we don't want you segre- segregated, essentially, just to us. Mm-hmm. It's getting more outreach and more um, acceptance. Mm-hmm. Definitely more acceptance, and that's not a lot about what you think of when you think of disability. You're like, well, at, at a point, anyone can be disabled that you you talk to, but it's also there's a lot of things that disabled folks don't have that other people have been fighting for that other people have gotten that disabled folks just don't have. And with your kind of outlook on it and where you want to grow it, we're moving toward that. Well, everyone can be disabled. Everyone can be in that point or everyone, anyone rather, um, can be disabled that you talk to, but they're also just a part of regular society, not on a different class level.
0: Yes, and and what a, one thing that's popular in you know the disability studies community is that um, the disability population is one of, if not the only, marginalized population that anyone can join at any point unexpectedly in their life. Right, and so. Um, but a lot of times, it's not seen as a marginalized population because it's not seen as culture. It's not seen as diversity. Mm-hmm. We're, we've made great progress in that in that aspect. But if you'll notice that, a lot of um, kind of diversity departments uh disability isn't a a huge component right i know emily is is a very passionate advocate for disability Mm -hmm. and we work together quite often so i know we're working towards that but i think a lot of times um disability kind of gets pushed out of the diversity picture Mm -hmm. um and i am quite passionate about that so that's that would be an interesting um project if i did get Kind of the ultimate goal of okay, this is the rights based model, this is the social model. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and being a disabled student and a staff member, I feel like I do have a uh, a different uh, perspective on certain things. Right. And being able to relate to the students, but then also being able to communicate to the faculty and, and the staff. Uh, and since I have been here since I was <laughs> sure. a student, I do Definitely. know a, a lot of them and have that relationship already there. But I want to build a framework to where, you know, if I'm not in this position anymore, that relationship with the office, not just me, there. is still there. That,
1: that's very good. That's very good. When uh, we're looking at prospective students who are disabled, um, what kind of advice would you give them? uh, Thinking about everything you've said, thinking about the universal kind of model that you're talking about, what advice do you give to students who are coming into college right now?
0: So in general, every university is going to have A similar process the Mm -hmm. student has to make the initial contact Uh, typically we can't take any action until after the student's been enrolled so my advice as a as a high school freshman would be to make sure your documentation is in line like make sure your school has provided you what you need but also make sure you understand what your disability is what are your strengths and weaknesses what are your coping skills what has worked with you worked for you because Mm -hmm. I need them to be able to communicate that to me because they right. are an expert on themselves but whenever they're not an active agent in their education in in high school perhaps mm-hmm. then they're not able to communicate that with me and so i'm not able to get that expertise that i need to move forward so i think understanding their strengths and weaknesses um either due to their disability or due to the type of student they are okay. r- regardless is going to be important but also looking at the university you want to attend, figuring out, you know, okay, how do I reach out? What's my first step? We have something called the Initial Contact Form. Mm -hmm. It's an online document that they'll fill out and it it comes directly to me and I review everything um, and I follow up with the student. But making sure you have your documentation, making sure you understand what the university is going to expect from you in the way of documentation because every university is a little different. so that would kind of be my my main thing, would be getting what you need from your high school before you graduate.
1: Right. It's gonna be ideal. That's important.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing would be to understand your documentation, understand what you're looking mm-hmm. at. Uh, a, a good example is uh, for students who need to take the teacher certification exam, the documentation that you know I deemed acceptable, right, for accommodations, mm-hmm. the, the third party private, company that owns the teacher certification exam may not okay so understanding what that documentation is and what the limitations of that documentation um, are would be really important so I think Mm -hmm. mainly becoming more of an active agent in their own education and their own advocacy because it is hard for parents sometimes to for any parent, regardless of the student's disability status, Mm -hmm. to see them go from, you've been in my house for 18 years and now I'm just dropping you off. Right, right. right. The independence aspect that we kind of mentioned before. It's not
1: something, it's really, really easy to kind of let your guardians or your parents take over where you initially go after high school or during high school. So it's just being a little, like you said, a little more active in the education process its yes. important. And what your, what your disabilities are and really kind of learning yourself mm-hmm. in that is very important.
0: Definitely. I, identity development, I think, is, is way more important than people give it credit for during the time at college, and mm-hmm. accepting disability as part of identity is only going to enhance the person's ability to know themselves, right? Right. right. Uh, not thinking of it as something that's less than or lacking a, a disability as a part of identity and it's okay <laughs> to be disabled, right? And it's okay to accept that as part of your identity. Now,
1: still kind of on the realm of advice, what kind of advice or, or any kind of thoughts you can give to maybe faculty or teachers or instructors about having disabled students uh, in the classroom? And I know we don't want to segregate kind of in that way, but there are different elements of accommodation and like you said, building a curriculum, What what. What advice do you have on that aspect?
0: So, um, we have the Center for Educational Excellence and uh, each college has its own uh, instructional designer. And our instructional designers are fantastic. We've we've met with them before. Um, they're all on board with the universal design concept and mm-hmm. helping their faculty get to that point. They were instrumental in making sure things were accessible when we made that shift to online, right. uh, especially with the captioning and making sure those things mm-hmm. are in place. So for the faculty member, it would be contacting their instructional designer uh, about possible accessibility. But then also, I think being flexible without being over accommodating is important okay. so if it's if it's not written on their accommodation letter and you wouldn't do it for any other student don't do it for this student right mm-hmm. um, you know because we've determined this is what they need for equal access but if it's something you would do for everyone like providing the recording like right. we all had to do mm-hmm. um, then yes let, let's do it let's do it for all of them Th- does it give anyone an advantage to be able to review your content and your lecture that you I'm sure you spent a lot of time to prepare of
1: course. why would you want
0: them to only have one viewing mhm that that's so
1: that's a good
0: point <laughs> I thought about that yeah.
1: before
0: uh, so there's uh, I think there's just flexibility is important and I think we've learned, faculty especially, learned a lot about flexibility Mm -hmm. during COVID and um, some of them may be bent to breaking point but uh, still being open to that flexibility is would be Mm -hmm. what I would advise and I I think like I said uh, earlier I am very very proud of our faculty. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. Um, Are there any topics or elements Uh, Whether that be like the administration side of learning disabilities or or disabilities in general
0: that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure to mention. Um, I I think mainly I want to talk about uh, or or mention the importance of self-advocacy and communication. So there's a difference in self-advocacy and battling, right? Yes. Yeah. So self-advocacy is what I expect but battling is not what should happen that's whenever a student needs to reach out to me um, so that i can help step in and engage Mm -hmm. in that conversation but also understanding that having a disability doesn't automatically put you in you know a box right right so the expectations are all still the same Uh, Mm -hmm. you just have something that has taken away the barrier for if a class is hard For everyone, it's probably going to be hard for a disabled student as well, right? right? The accommodations don't make things any easier, and the uh, type of accommodations given in high school are very different than those given in post-secondary education because we're actually governed under two different legislative bodies. Mm. It is is very different, and so making that transition can be difficult, and if you think about an 18-year-old freshman coming in, Mm
1: -hmm. and they're
0: thinking, well, I've had these for years and years and years, it's just going to transfer over. It's going to look exactly the same. It doesn't. Um, so I, I think it's important to, to recognize that and understand that there, there are other ways to bridge the gaps, the perceived gaps. Right. Um, one thing that uh, I think is the most upsetting for me is if um, a student tells me that I didn't help them. Mm. Right. And and I can understand uh, when a student is upset and, you know, they received X, Y and Z in high school forever. Mm-hmm. And it's just not something that, you know, translate over into college. I think um, the willingness for faculty to be open to reeducation should also be there for students to okay. understand why I'm doing these things. I'm not doing them because, you know, I, I don't want to be helpful to you or anything like that. But that is um, that is hard to right. hear. And I'm sure it's hard to hear for anyone. Um, but I am personally invested, right, Mm -hmm. not only in the job but in the students because I know I went through it, I understand, Um, but also the the independence and the autonomy and, you know, there's a bridge from high school to college, but then there's a a longer bridge, right, from college Mm -hmm. to career, and that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, So I think – I just want people to know that I'm a nice person <laughs> and you can come and talk to me right, or send right. me an email. I brought some cards for you if, oh, you, great. if you want them. Yes, that's great. Um, and communicating with me does not always mean you're going to get exactly what you want, mm-hmm. but we're going to work together to get you to a place that you're going to get what you need. Right. That's important. That's important.
1: Well, thank you so much for yes. discussing all of this with us and uh, talking to the listeners about this. Cause It's not something people think about if they aren't disabled um, to think to well, well, how can I help my students or even how can I help my children or or my my children that are under guardianship or anything like that? How can I help my students actually get through those those barriers and how do I start off my curriculum like that? So that's really, really important. So thank you so much for joining us. Alright folks, we went over a lot of information and there are still plenty of material out there and plenty of topics left to learn about. If you would like to know more or maybe I didn't cover something you were curious about, be sure to check those links in the description for some additional resources about the topic we discussed today. And be sure to check back next upload for the second half of this topic where I'll bring in a student to discuss her experiences with her own learning disability. That'll be Tuesday, July 27th at 5 p.m. will be the next upload. For regular updates on the show, find The Planet 100.7, the radio station we're based out of, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Planet 100.7. One last time, I'd like to thank my guest, Miss Jerica Hobson, for coming on and, and talking to me and discussing with us. And thank you listeners for following along and learning all of this with me. Until next time, be safe out there, folks, and take care.
0: radio network podcast with production from me taylor welch and me brianna blanks find more great shows by searching tarleton
1: radio network wherever you get your podcast